The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book, and print cultures. Stamping problems. You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. The Hub is a space contemplating Ireland through the community. It's created by Coral The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. Nil fola ke kau le ra hon ivrin la, ak shan ko tinda un gan kau kan fin kala. Ohro hawa hawa ivrin la, tot na lovi ne lege simila. Mashwa mo me adoro ka kal yu vet lak ni vod sni ogan ena rega. Ohro hawa hawa ivrin la, kushe se story ne lege simila. Nihir mo spray la sound ivrin la, balinish ke iska den uwa kan ni. Ohro hawa hawa ivrin la, ak kushe se story ne lege simila. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and uh, my apologies, first of all, to our online audience. We're running a little bit late as our fire alarm decided to go off uh, a couple of minutes before five o'clock, and we've all been standing out in the cold. Uh, But we're here now, and good afternoon to all of you. My name is Eve Patton. I'm director of the Trinity Longroom Hub, which is Trinity's research institute for the arts and humanities. And we have the pleasure today of launching a really groundbreaking virtual exhibition, Seeing Ireland, Art, Culture and Power in Paris, 1922. Now you've just been listening to our musicians, We're Not Together, featuring our own Nora Moroni, and they've opened the event today with some samples of the music that was performed 100 years ago for the Irish delegates who attended the World Congress of the Irish Race in Paris. And this was the original context for the seminal Irish art exhibition uh, that's featured in the Seeing Ireland project. So thanks to them, and we'll hear a bit more music later on. The Trinity Longroom Hub showcases cutting edge research in the arts and humanities. And this unique venture, Seeing Ireland, has brought together the very best of what we do here in Trinity, in modern history, in art history, in literature, and in the digital humanities. So I want to open this evening by, first of all, congratulating my two colleagues who imagined and created this exhibition in partnership with the team at NoHo Design. Uh, Dr. Kieran O'Neill, congratulations, one of our finest Irish historians and also deputy director of the Trinity Longroom Hub, and Dr. Billy Shortall, a leading expert in Ireland's uh, cultural and visual arts history. And you'll be hearing from Billy and Kieran shortly, and also from my colleague, Dr. Angela Griffith, who's director of the Trinity Irish Art Research Centre. She'll be chairing a discussion with two of Ireland's most renowned contemporary artists, Mick O'Dea and Sinead Nguyeni. 
The Seeing Ireland project allows us to revisit that question. How does a nation express itself through its culture? And we're very honoured, therefore, that Minister Catherine Martin, Ireland's Minister for Culture and the Arts, uh, will join us in a moment online to officially launch the exhibition. But this venture is also an opportunity to think, as the artist Jack Yates put it in 1922, about the international conversations that take place through the visual arts. In this case, Seeing Ireland represents that very special conversation that happened 100 years ago uh, and that continues today between Ireland and France. I know that we have many friends in France joining our online audience. Uh, and we also have with us here in the hub, His Excellency Vincent Garand, who is the ambassador of France in Ireland. Uh, he'll also be saying a few words in a minute. And ambassador, you're very welcome. Uh, but first, I'm going to hand over with very great pleasure to Minister Catherine Martin, who will launch the exhibition. Ambassador Vincent Guéron, Professor Eve Patton, ladies and gentlemen. Gurgmago vas falche criul a curum. Is more an honor dum a vet live in you, ex sholu and tespontus inthuxa erlina. See in Ireland, Art, Culture and Power in Paris, 1922. Today marks the centenary of the opening in Paris of one of the most significant exhibitions of Irish culture and art in modern Irish history the Exposition de Art Irlande, which was sponsored by the nascent Irish state. The month-long exhibition ran alongside the week-long World Congress of the Irish Race, a political gathering held at a key moment in our history, just after the signing of the Anglo-Irish Treaty. The Congress brought Irish politicians, diaspora, delegates and an international audience together to discuss Irish affairs and provided support for the Irish state. The significance of the exhibition cannot be overestimated. Taking place between the War of Independence and the Civil War, two of the most seismic events in our history. Commemorating this Irish Parisian cultural event allows the presentation of a broader view of Irish people beyond the military, the culture they celebrated and how they self-identified. It is also an historical recovering of a key moment in modern Irish art and cultural history. The exhibition featuring 280 Irish artworks, with artists as diverse as Sarah Purser, Jack Yates and John Lavery, displayed nationalist work in an overt attempt to legitimise a post-colonial presence in the global field for Irish art and crafts. The French government's purchase of the Paul Henry painting, A West of Ireland Village, the only known sale associated with the exhibition, was a diplomatic coup for the Irish state. The story of the Exposition de Art Irlandais and the Irish Congress is told through this superb and thoughtful exhibition. Visitors to the website will enjoy an immersive experience and will be afforded the chance to see Ireland as it wished to be seen by the world in 1922. I am delighted that my department is supporting this project through the Decade of Centenaries programme as part of a suite of related projects, States of Modernity funded in partnership with the Department of Foreign Affairs. I will be publishing the programme for 2022 shortly, and this project is a welcome addition. I would like to commend Professor Kieran O'Neill, Dr Billy Shortle and their colleagues for the superb 3D virtual creation of this seminal exhibition. All that remains for me is to wish Trinity Long Room Hub 
every success with a superb exhibition. Gurv Magov. Well, our thanks to Minister Martin for those kind remarks, and I'll now invite the Ambassador to join us to say a few words. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Patton. Um, dear friends, dear professors, uh, dear Ambassador Roy Montgomery, former uh, Ambassador of Ireland to France, um, dear students, if any in the room or online, um, I'm indeed delighted and, and certainly honoured to be part of uh, this celebration of one of the most important events in the history of modern Ireland, Seeing Ireland. And I'm all the more delighted, as, uh, as you said, it shows the extraordinary links between our two countries and how Paris, back in 1922, 100 years ago, played a central role for Ireland and Irish identity, as also mentioned by uh, Minister Catherine Martin. Um, just to recall a few events uh, on this uh, very auspicious year, the exhibition of Irish art, the first publication of Ulysses, which we are celebrating I think, on the 2nd of February, which as you all know was published first in, in Paris, the opening of the Island Grey uh, Gallery, and as you all mentioned, the um, uh, Congress uh, of the Irish Race um, held in Paris, all this demonstrating the Irish desire for a European dimension uh, and for cementing the links between our two countries. And indeed, I must say, I was also honoured to be one of the very few ambassadors invited at Dublin Castle on uh, December the um, 17th for the uh, centenary of the handover. Just very few ambassadors were invited, also, I must say, for a, a, a COVID-related reason. Uh, but beyond the obvious presence of the British ambassador, there was the uh, US representative and, and myself, and I must say it was also a, a testimony of the strong historical links between our two countries, also in the ex exchange of ideas, something which has very deep rooted, just think of Wolf Tone, which spent some years after the French Revolution and which came then to Ireland inspired by all those uh, ideals, just think of Daniel O'Connell, who also influenced back very much in France with his idea of um, a strong popular, democratic and uh, political movement. Um, dear friends, as you know, France will or is um, holding the rotating presidency of the EU Council of Ministers this semester, starting on the 1st of January, uh, almost a month ago, until the 30th of June, for six months, uh, after Slovenia and before the Czech Republic. Uh, and during these uh, six months, uh, arts and culture will be certainly a focal point of our presidency, both at European level, where we also want to promote uh, the sense of belonging, of common belonging uh, for European citizens, uh, but also arts and, and, and multilingualism, because we strongly believe that uh, diversity, uh, linguistic diversity, uh, is a strong asset. It's probably a, a too a poor word to describe it, but it's a very strong, um, uh, let's say, um, richness for uh, Europe compared to uh, other uh, countries or states. And, and this is something we certainly want to celebrate and nurture with all European partners and with Ireland in particular. Because we strongly believe indeed that we have a common European culture based on values, based on democracy, rule of law, uh, debate, and that, and this European culture should be promoted, 
uh, and be transmitted to the next generation with, a, again, a strong emphasis on, on diversity. But beyond this, heritage, performing arts, uh, literature and music are a common good that we must preserve indeed and, and pass on to all. And it's in this spirit that a series of events will take place uh, across Europe, showing the importance of cultural exchange and creating the condition for responsible culture, a culture that takes into account, as I mentioned, the challenges of diversity, equality and also sustainable development. And indeed, a repeated culture and use will be at the heart of the French presidency. And we are celebrating also this year, you may know it, the uh, youth, um, the European Commission, in agreement with all member states, has declared 2022 as uh, the year of youth. And there will be uh, all kinds of uh, events around uh, youth. Uh, I also just want to, to stress that, in our view, also uh, European culture is based, is based on debate, on exchange of ideas. Just yesterday, we had a very interesting uh, uh, debate around the uh, so-called night of ideas throughout Europe, throughout the world. In more than 100 countries, we had uh, debating and around, again, this concept of night of ideas. It was the seventh edition of the Nights of Idea. And yesterday, we had a very interesting debate uh, with the, the mayor of Galway, the mayor of Lorient, the sister city of, uh, of Galway in, in Brittany, and the mayor of a town called Lugo in, in uh, Galicia in, in Spain around the idea of uh, Celtic identity and European identity and how both identities can enrich themselves and um, help citizens of those um, cities to even, um, express their identity uh, in a, a way which is both, let's say, um, enriched by the past but also looking forward uh, uh, to the future. So thank you very much for, for uh, inviting me to this event. And it shows again how uh, deep our two countries are uh, linked through history and arts. And I'm very much looking forward to uh, the uh, next speakers. Thank you all. Many thanks, Ambassador Guerin and Minister Martin for your uh, kind and very thoughtful remarks. Uh, my name is Kieran O'Neill. I'm uh, one of two project leads for Seeing Ireland. And Seeing Ireland is not just a project that commemorates the presentation of Irish culture in Paris. It's one that seeks to interrogate its importance. Uh, I first heard my colleague Billy Shortle, uh, whose doctoral research is the inspiration for and the basis of this project, speaking about this exhibition right here in this room back in 2017. I was immediately struck listening to Billy by the connections that he drew between the diplomatic goals of the Paris Conference and the simultaneous use of art and culture for what were essentially propaganda purposes by the emerging state. What a brilliant opportunity, I thought, as I listened to Billy speak, to think about the year of Irish emergence on the world stage from an altogether different angle, to focus on culture, art and the wider world rather than internal division and conflict. In the history of Irish art and literature, 1922 is the peak year of modernism, as well as a key year in Ireland's long journey to modernity. It offers us a hinge point in history and in memory. Like 1798 and 1916, 1922 is a single year that bookends Irish history texts. It denotes the beginning of an emerging Irish identity in the political and social imagination. 
And as the ambassador has indicated, Paris was a useful location and one that helped create distance from London at a critical moment in time. So when the World Congress of the Irish Race was being planned by Catherine Hughes in the summer of 1921, the stated goal was to harness the support of the Irish diaspora for the post-colonial Irish state. By the time they all turned up in Paris, and you can see them in a photograph here, in late January, the goalposts had moved. There was now an opportunity for Ireland to legitimate itself on the world stage, to be accepted by other powerful nations as a nation in its own right. What began as, as an attempt to build up a diplomatic and diaspora network became instead a chance to articulate a cultural separation with Britain in that most global of cities, Paris. This was why the political establishment toured Paris by motor car in a simulated state visit. This was why Eamon de Valera, Owen McNeil, uh, Mary McSweeney and Douglas Hyde could all somehow sit in the same room together in Paris discussing economic policy despite being on opposite sides of an acrimonious split. The conference in Paris was a mishmash of competing priorities. It was a mess, really. Most American and Canadian delegates stayed away. The Irish delegates who attended disagreed about just about everything. And the only aspect of it that worked was the presentation of Irish culture through music and theatre in the week of the Congress and through arts and crafts in the month-long exhibition that followed. The Exposition cost a penniless Irish government about £2,000 about a third of the entire budget for Paris. It was the first ever state-sponsored art exhibition, and it gathered together those artists who had produced work that was sympathetic, mostly to the nationalist cause. It achieved a rough gender balance between men and women artists. It largely avoided sectarian bias, and it made an attempt to include Northern and even Orange perspectives. In some ways, it was more progressive than the Congress that had preceded it that week, and it was more hospitable to different Irish narratives. The website we are launching today then, and I hope you will all visit it, will provide um, context and resources for all aspects of the exhibition, including some on the political Congress. We will be adding this context to the project over the coming weeks and throughout 2022, but for now, it helps capture the experience of being at that exhibition, and that's what really matters. We invite you to take part in Seeing Ireland as it wished to be seen itself in 1922. And now I'm going to hand over to Billy Shortle to highlight just some of the artworks you can learn about on the website. Thanks, Karen. In correspondence between uh, politicians and organizers leading up to the Congress, it was made clear that it was, and I quote, primarily a cultural event. So the emerging state, in, in a bold statement on Irish culture and identity, presented the grand narrative of Irish cultural history to an international audience in the then cultural capital of the world, Paris. Irish theatre was presented with plays by Lady Gregory and John Millington Singh. Concerts of Irish music featured well-known pieces played on a range of traditional instruments by established Irish musicians. Ten lectures were delivered on Irish life and culture by people described as eminent experts, eminent experts such as William Butler Yeats on Irish literature, Owen McNeill on history, Evelyn Gleeson on Irish arts and crafts design, Arthur Darley on music, Jack B. Yeats on Irish art, and there were others. 
However, the highlight of the cultural presentation was Exposition d'Art Irlande, the exhibition of Irish art and craft held in the prestigious Gallery Barbers Ange. The seeingireland.ie website that is being launched here tonight reflects the original presentation in Paris. It presents on the Congress events, but like in 1922, the focus is on the art exhibition. 1922 was a display of quality work, and many of the major pieces are now in national collections in Ireland, Britain and France. So in most instances, it is possible to show the actual artworks exhibited. The website will continue to evolve with added content over the coming weeks. This evening, I will name check a few of the 90 odd original exhibitors, but focus on just three. Not necessarily as the finest examples, but to show the range of work on view. <clears throat> the best known painters, like Jack Yates here, with Bachelor's Walk in memory, uh, or Sarah Purser, Le Petit Dejeuner, and both of these are now in, in the National Gallery. Uh, John Lavery on the Painting on the left is a preparatory sketch for the final work, which is in the Hugh Lane Gallery. But this is the, this is the version that was exhibited in Paris. Uh, Paul Henry had this painting here, purchased by the French state, helping to validate Irish art and identity, and towards achieving the propaganda value sought. All these works, as I said, are now in public collections. None were in 1922, and are now part of the canon of Irish art. Less well-known participant, Grace Henry, showed modernist works of Ackle Island. In general, landscape works showed all parts of the country in various traditions. As Kieran has already mentioned, partition was not evident in the art exhibited. West of Ireland landscapes and scenes were prominent. This dovetailed with the veneration that was in much of Irish nationalist culture of the Western seaboard as the location of true Gaelic values. Irish writers and artists presented the West as authentically Irish, more so than the English-influenced East, thereby creating a cultural separation with a colonial past. This Grace Henry is of three West of Ireland women sharing the local news. The bold, bright colours and heavy outlines moves the painting from the traditional to the modern. Note also the seagull on the left-hand side of the painting, a regular motif implied by the artist to donate freedom of the subject, freedom of the artist herself, but also freedom of the country. This is another Grace Henry from the exhibition. Again, you can see the seagull here as well in, in this one. This work here is called Mulrani, after a village in County Mayo. And I'm not sure where this painting is now. It shows a poor but proud and independent young woman. Uh, the image of the painting is sourced from a 1919 British art magazine, which stated, there is a great deal of Ireland packed into this picture. It explains why there is an Irish question. The commentator believed that Grace Henry was making a political statement. Sorry. This stained glass panel by Harry Clark was entry 258 out of 281 total exhibits and is an example of what Delegate Eamon de Valera had in mind when he spoke at the Congress about the event signifying Ireland's, and I quote, magnificent culture, the grand things the nation could give to the world. Clark, who was well represented in the exhibition, had an international reputation as a glass artist and as an illustrator. He demonstrated a mastery of his art and in, that the new state wished to showcase to the world. There were a number of books exhibited. Some hand-printed and bound by Kula featured renowned Irish writers of the literary revival. 
Others printed by Colin O'Loughlin and published by Bulmer Hobson had good Republican credentials. And this one on this slide, uh, Gitanjali, uh, by Indian Nobel Prize winner and mystic Robin Randra Tagore, was bound by Irish bookbinder Eleanor Kelly. I mention this work because it is possibly the most admired artwork in contemporary reviews, praised for its binding. Kelly's binding is in sympathy with the contents, having a semi of stars, Mughal-style centrepiece and her signature shamrocks. In 1922, this work was well known from previous exhibitions and journals and journal illustrations. Exhibiting an Irish-bound edition of Gitanjali with a preface by William Butler Yeats was relevant in the, in the context of the Congress and the discussions on independence. Academics have described the Tagore-Yeats relationship as iconic of Indo-Irish connections, and the Irish poet's introduction is among the most cited commentary on cross-cultural encounters with the British colonial world. All the arts and crafts items, glass, bindings, enamels, metalworks, textiles and so on, were presented as a continuum of talented craftspeople since the golden age of, Irish, of medieval Irish art. The greatness of Ireland's ancient past was revived and was thriving again in a reborn Ireland. The seeingireland.ie website has partially recreated the events and art exhibition of Paris 1922. It is also a testimony to the ingenuity and technical ability of our technology partners, NOHO. And I now invite Neil from NOHO to briefly talk about the development, and he's going to show us a short video. Thank you, Billy. Um, So my name's uh, Neil O'Hushing, I'm from a company called NoHo uh, in Dublin, and um, I'm going to give you an overview of, of uh, what we've done uh, for the website. Um, so we have uh, a project website, an introduction video that I'll show you now in a minute. Um, we created a virtual exhibition, an interactive map, and then some pages for the conference on lectures and music and drama and a motor tour. Um, and then we have a, a, a background system for, for creating that. And um, at the moment, it's optimized uh, for desktop only at the moment. Um, but we'll be working, uh, we'll still be working on it over the next few weeks. So um, um, we'll just play the, the project video now. Um, so if you, if you press play, please. In January 1922, the elite of Irish politics and Irish arts came together in Paris for the World Congress of the Irish Race. Conceived during the struggle for independence, the event took place amidst the political turmoil that followed the signing of the treaty in December 1921. Both treaty sides agreed that presenting the new state's art and culture as a distinct global brand was too great an opportunity to miss. At the Congress, the emerging state sought to harness the support of the Irish diaspora and the recognition of the international community. While the Congress included political sessions, it was primarily a cultural event, with a program of lectures, music, theatre and gala evenings. The main feature of the Congress was an art exhibition at the renowned Galerie Barbazange. Running for a month, it included artists and artworks that have become synonymous with Irish art 
Now, a century later, you can revisit this landmark moment by embarking on a virtual experience of the exhibition. Explore a wealth of material relating to individual exhibits or browse the original catalogue from 1922. The interactive gallery features artworks from the original exhibition covering genres from oil painting and sculpture to stained glass and textiles. The exhibition was also notable for the number of women artists included. Many exhibits show how art and politics came together in the service of the state. Ireland was often stereotyped as a country incapable of self-government, but here was an opportunity to present an image of a young, confident, modern nation. A country that looked forward to the future while it reimagined its past. This virtual experience also explores other Congress events and brings you on a journey to venues visited by Congress attendees. Parisian landmarks that spoke of Ireland's affinity with France. In 1922, the French capital was a global cradle of creativity, a city that had lured major figures in Irish culture. In the same year, renowned designer Eileen Gray opened her design shop and writer James Joyce published Ulysses. In an early example of soft power, the emerging state used Ireland's rich cultural heritage to announce itself to the world. It was an artistic statement of who we were and what we aspired to be. Seeing Ireland is your chance to relive the path-defining events of 1922 in Paris. So, um, one of the main features of the project is the interactive gallery um, of the Galerie Barbazange. Um, we only had one image to work from in reconstructing the gallery. Um, it's the image here on the left. Um, this image is from a similar period, but it's not actually the Irish show. Um, we'd no, no plans either and only one image, so we decided to create a space that uh, reflects the information that we have, but while working as a functioning virtual gallery. So there's no uh, doors or fire escapes or fire alarms in this uh, virtual gallery. Um, normally our reconstructions and interactive virtual environments are, are for offline use um, on touchscreens and headsets, etc. So it's quite a challenge to create something that, that will work uh, in, on the web uh, through a browser. Um, <clears throat> so uh, we created a, a cruciform shape with longer walls and two sides to, to fit in some more artwork. And this meant that the original image could be sort of recreated all the way around the gallery in different positions. Uh, the image shows, show, the original image showed a salon style uh, hang, uh, but we've mixed this with a more modern um, layout and we'll be adding more material in the coming weeks. So we'll be re-hanging re uh, material uh, as we go along. Um, for the technical people out there, um, we created it in, in 3D Max and in Unity, and then we ported it into Babylon JS so that, uh, for, for, to deliver it on the web. Um, the, uh, you can see here the whole gallery now. Um, the visitor navigates the space using the markers that are on the floor there, the little white markers, and the camera moves over to that position. Uh, they can then click in, on the paintings and the sculpture and the books, etc. Uh, to learn more about them. 
and we introduced a large rectangular plinth in the middle um, to show a collection of books and we'll also be adding some ceramics and pottery to, uh, to that in the next while. Um, so each artwork has its own page uh, and gives some information on the artist uh, with a link to their biography and then some information about the work itself. Uh, and by clicking on the button in the right-hand corner, you can expand and look, look at the whole artwork itself and, and explore it in more detail. And um, uh, another click will, will, will show you other uh, works that that artist has within the exhibition. Um, the catalogue can be, the original catalogue can be accessed and explored when navigating the space, as you would in a normal uh, circumstances. Uh, and this is a 30-page document with, with an introduction and then a list of works. Um, and we retained, uh, throughout the project, we retained the catalogue numbers and all the 3D models and files uh, throughout. So it was a really important uh, source for us. Um, uh, then visitors uh, can also access the interactive map of Paris that gives an idea of the locations of different events and then some other interesting concurrent events such as James Joyce uh, publishing Ulysses and, and uh, notable landmarks that were visited on, on the motor tour. Um, and in the coming weeks, we'll, we'll be adding in the motor tour uh, route uh, on this map. Um, uh, all of the content in the gallery and the map uh, are authored within our cross-culture system, which is essentially an easy to use CMS. Um, it brings in new information on artworks, art, um, artists and hotspots within the map and it can all be done from this manager. So our team uh, are able to add in stuff uh, and also any curator can, can log in, uh, such as Billy, and, and edit text and, and create new content within it. Um, so it's an important tool uh, for us. Um, so. Uh, we feel it's a successful di digital visualization of the exhibition and the overall events of the Congress. Uh, and we hope to include more artwork and content over the next while. And um, the, work, uh, the work we have done could be explored easily in other formats in the future, such as VR and touchscreen applications. Um, and uh, just to say, we've thoroughly enjoyed working on this and look forward to developing it um, in the coming weeks. So. Merci. Thank you, Gurma Hogarth. Um, thank you so much, Neil, and thanks for all your amazing work and that of your team uh, over the last few weeks. Uh, it's been wonderful to work with you. Uh, so in a moment, we're going to hear from some, uh, two really distinguished artists uh, chaired by uh, Dr. Angela Griffith, our colleague here from Triarch. Uh, these are Mick D, well known to many of our audience, and Sinead Niwainig, also well known to many of our audience tonight, I think. But before that, we're going to hear uh, a brief interlude and some live music from uh, We're Not Together, featuring Nora Moroni, and it's going to be the Fawned Grove. Oh 
Thank you and um, you're all very welcome now to this discussion. I think we're talking about an event that celebrated the work of artists and it's only right that we should have the voices of artists here this evening and we're very very pleased to have with us Sinead Mimouini um, who is a member of the RHA, a graduate of DIT and now TUD and is represented by the Kevin Kavanagh Gallery here in Dublin. Um, she was the recipient of the Hennessy Craig Scholarship and the Hotram Award in 2019 by the, from Visual in Carlo for outstanding work. Um, her work is found in private and public collections, both nationally and internationally. She is an Irish speaker and an advocate for the language. And as an artist, she is innately concerned with the material qualities of paint, the physical action of painting itself and exploring what she recognizes as its autonomous language. And we are joined by Mick O'Dea. Um, Miko D, as Kieran has said, is very well known and a graduate of NCAD and the University of Massachusetts and the Winchester School of Art in Barcelona. Mick is a member of the, became a member of the RHA in 1996 and was elected its president in 2014. He was also elected to Dana in 1996, an association of artists that honours those that have made an outstanding contribution to the creative arts on the island of Ireland. He is a recipient of many awards and he served as a member of the Board of Governors for the National Gallery of Ireland, acting as Chairperson of Acquisitions and Exhibition Committee from 2014 to 2018. He's now a full-time artist that, while a Clareman born, spends his time now between Dublin and Mayo. So you're both very, very welcome. And uh, I suppose one of the questions we should perhaps ask is um, the role of art. You know, we're talking about here in a historical context, and we'd be very interested to hear your opinions about, you know, how what is the role of art in recording history, in recording contemporary events? You know, is it to record? Is it to comment? Or is it even to question and challenge? I ask you first, Mick. And um, I'll give you a very um, off the hook answer for myself by saying it's all of the above. Um, that, uh, but it, it is down to the individual artist. But I think of, for instance, someone like Pablo Picasso uh, as a very good way, a, a very 
interesting artists to negotiate uh, Western Europe uh, uh, from the beginning of the 20th century up until the 1970s. Yeah. And he offers an alternative narrative uh, that you'd get, say, from newspapers or from the history of the time. All you need to do is look at how he responded to every event. Uh, he himself, I guess, with Cubism, mm -hmm. um, you, you know, broke the mould of, of uh, the inherited uh, representational art that we uh, received prior to then. Mm -hmm. um, even during the First World War, it, somebody said, or Picasso was reputed to have said that when he saw camouflaged artillery going uh, out towards the front, that the Cubists were responsible for that, for that fracturing. Um, but, you know, right across, like, for instance, the way that he responded to uh, the Spanish Civil War and the, bar the bombing of Absolutely. Guernica, that's yeah. the, I suppose, the major political painting of the 20th century and what he did during the occupation. And he can, in a way, be contrasted with his great contemporary and equally great artist, Matisse, mm -hmm. who chose to kind of, um, you know, when you look at Matisse's work, particularly the work that he did in the south of France, uh, you know, Odalesque's relaxing. Yes. Uh, he, he chose to not deal directly with the political events. In okay. fact, he kind of went into his salon and carpets, and but innovatively uh, came up with extraordinary uh, ways of painting, broke again uh, the mold, uh, responded to jazz, I guess, with that yeah. fantastic collection of cutouts. Um, they're just two examples. It's definitely down to the personality, but from my point of view, and I, and I know people, some people subscribe to this. What you have for your breakfast is political. And yes. even if you're not overtly a political artist, you are political by what you decide to include or exclude in your work. Yeah. And Sinead, just following on from that, because what does Mick has, you know, given us historical examples, do you feel as a contemporary artist, do you have that affinity with the history, with historical past? Or do you think, um, you know, do you feel part of a tradition or do you see yourself as forging yourself mm. in another way? I think I'm a teenager as a contemporary artist or in my very young years. So, you know, politics with a capital P and then a small P depends on the day. Obviously, yeah, it's, it's certainly things we think about and it's everything. It's in your day to day. But I actually, I, I was taken aback yesterday. I was at a lecture in Philadelphia for the lunchtime lectures, a uh, solo exhibition by Elaine Byrne, an Irish artist oh, based yeah. in Philadelphia, Sloth. And uh, I thought she was uh, an activist, if you like, or very politically engaged. Her work has, you know, political kind of, you know, subjects, obviously. Yeah. But uh, she's, not, no, I'm not at all, not, not an activist at all or politically you okay. know, commenting on, on borders, if you like. And I was really taken back. I thought, it's really interesting. I really yeah. believed uh, she would have, if, you know, came from her, oh, I'm an activist and I'm very active, you know, defining, poly you know, whatever her political concerns are and borders and it's worldwide and yeah. you know, she's researching it very thoroughly. Uh, it was a fascinating lecture, it's a wonderful exhibition. And Michael Dempsey from the Hulane is the curator. Yeah. Just learned, I just thought coming in here today, like that just threw me upside down. I thought I'm not a bit political. <sighs> I'm not political and I'm very, very young in this business, if you like. Yeah. You know, and I, my voice, I still haven't found it. And I think maybe by the time I'm 60, I'll be using a lot of capital P's. <laughs> a lot of, I'd hope to, you know, yeah. become more vocal. I think you have a confidence, you know, as contemporary art goes, I think you become more confident. Yeah. Uh, but it is certainly something you have for your breakfast. Uh, 
So, so you, but you wouldn't concern yourself, as I say, what happened in the past, in a sense that, was, as you it find your own voice, you're doing it for yourself, or yeah, is it that you don't look to the both. Like it doesn't form you, like uh, previous generations inform your practice. It's yeah. very important. Like you grow up on a diet of uh, Yeats, for example, or even uh, Gray. It's all there. Mm -hmm. Mary Swansea, Mani Jellet. It, it, it is interesting. Uh, you know, how the past influences you and obviously historical kind of context. And it is interesting, but I, I, I'm also interested in beauty and yeah. you need an awful lot of time in the studio crafting and working and, you know, creating and jet, like learning about the, the paint itself, if you like, and how to use it directly in correspondence, yeah. you know, with, you know, with it, with whatever you're dealing with. So, yeah, it's, you can be very vague, I think, when you're very young and then yeah. grow into that role. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I think a lot of these artists, it'd be interesting to think about them, whether they were thrust into this position. And it's a word I was talking about with Billy, this idea that they were maybe commandeered yeah. by the Irish government to Bethard. serve yeah, well, to serve that agenda, maybe, that yeah. they were trying, trying to uh, put forward. That I mean, history is very important in your work, Mick. So, yeah. Yes, in a, in a particular uh, aspect of the yes. work, definitely. Um, but it's interesting what Sinead was saying there, because I mean, I, Sinead is a wonderful painter, hugely yes. sophisticated. Uh, but I think both of us are in a profession where if you apply yourself diligently, diligently, yes. and you have the good fortune to live long enough, that you may uh, start to get the rewards in your 60s or 70s. So it's the kind of activity that you're in for the long journey, unlike uh, an athletic career which okay. is uh, cut short <laughs> uh, as a, you know, or, uh, at, at a young age, you know, where you, you have your peaks, you do your training and uh, then the knees start to give you trouble and various yeah. other things. Uh, with with uh, a painting, it's that fluency um, will, if, you know, if, if one is an artist and is ca capable of growth and reinvention all the time, uh, just get more, uh, get better. I, am, I'm, I guess I am political in the sense that um, I've done a body of work which has responded to the War of Independence, yes. the Civil War, um, and more lately I'm looking at the, um, the land wars. Land wars, that's right. I, I think I, I'm political because of um, I was very conscious of the 50th anniversary of 1916 and the events around that. And I was trying to figure out who were the good guys and who were the bad guys, you know, because I grew up in a diet of British comics, uh, war yeah. comics, um, and I love the pictures, love the uh, films as well. Yeah. And of course you wanted the, um, the bad guys, the Nazis, to be, to be beaten. <laughs> but at the same time, the, the, um, the good guys who were beaten, the bad guys were the bad guys in your history, um, yes. uh, no, not for everyone, but yeah. uh, mm -hmm. so, it, you know, it, it was kind of once trying to negotiate all that and the, there was no Irish movies about the Battle of Britain or anything like that or, or, mm. or, or you know, uh, there was no historical movies that would be made. Maybe the closest thing you'd have would be Ryan's Daughter, where the IRA men were mainly English actors or, you know, yeah. uh, and it was interesting to see uh, our culture mirrored in that, but yeah. there was a, a, there was a you know, there's something missing for me uh, in the narrative. And I kind of heard stories. I was interested in history because yeah. history is just stories. It is. Um, the culture is very, you know, great for storytelling. 
I was fortunately exposed to a lot of storytellers and fibbers and all sorts of things, but uh, I did want to somehow um, fill in a few blanks for myself. And a lot of the work I have done is through revisiting photographs. So, for instance, I'm in interested in history painting of sorts, but it's revisiting existing photographs rather than maybe reproducing heroic episodes mm. from the past. So I, mm. I want to keep it dispassionate and uh, as cool as possible and leave the real, I suppose, political work to filmmakers and documentary yeah. makers who've taken over from artists in, in that Absolutely, way. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But I suppose if you're presenting images like the one that we just showed there, the split where you see the you know effect on the four courts and stuff, I mean, you can't really control how the audience reacts to it either. It, does that concern you? No. Um, I, or I'd what be, perception I, they I, might form about it? The artist can never control how the audience... Like, the great thing often about art is that you will get feedback from individuals to tell you all sorts of things that you never even thought were there yourself. <laughs> so the, often the bonus in terms of feedback is that you get uh, much more than you actually had intended in the first place. And maybe uh, you can privately take credit for that, but usually mm. it's um, people will come with all sorts of things. So yeah. once you make a piece of work and it goes out there, you've no control over it after that. I think the role of archivists is becoming more and more important uh, for contemporary artists. Okay. Um, and, you know, this is just wonderful to you know, look at this and immerse you know, yourself in the study. Uh, that's, it's now live and it'll be an open, yeah. you know, a digital medium and that's fantastic. But I think, you know, uh, like everything to do with contemporary practice now and how we archive it is going to, going forward, I think we're all getting a little bit concerned because there's so many visual artists. We don't seem to have these concentrated um, exhibitions, if you like, that yeah. are, you know, like that the public have been anticipating for many years. You know, mm. we publish a lot of work. There's a lot more of us. We've more commercial galleries. We have art fairs. You mm. know, we have uh, pocket technology. So, you know, how and what, where are we going to be archived and how are we going yeah. to do it or control it or look at it? How are we going to be re-looked at it? I think that's, that's, there's this kind of something happening now. And I think the pandemic nearly made us all re-look at that now. Yeah, I, I find that very interesting. The, the digital world. Well, the, yeah. the last thing I was actually going to say, to ask you just to finish up this very short session, but I think certainly we've begun a conversation here, is do you think, you know, based on what you're saying there now, Sinead, is there, would there be a space for such an exhibition like the 1922 exhibition? Would there be such a space today for an Irish exhibition of that kind? Or is even... You know what is Irish now? You know, yeah. is 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 there that space? Is that something you think you and your contemporaries would be interested in? Well, the Glucksman actually, uh, my painting, it's uh, the install shot. It's from yeah. the exhibition the Glucksman uh, held for six months, home, being and belonging in contemporary Ireland, and they had a series of three exhibitions over the space of maybe six years, and it was a very interesting study, but. I really was surprised that uh, it didn't go anywhere. It stayed yeah. in Cork, it stayed in the Glucksman. Although they'll do a publication, it's well yeah. documented, it's fabulous, it's online. I just thought really for all that work and the thought and the research and everything that went into it, I thought, is that it? Is there a full stop here? So uh, we all love work traveling abroad, but that has, and it brings up other issues of transporting work now, like mm. if you're conscious of the environment. Absolutely. And, you know, Chrissy Timplach, they like, there's costs, there's, it's caused the Madigan of the Mosh to like, the Sheferlahan. So, you know, we're all going to have to be really thinking about this, you know, bricks and mortar galleries or exhibitions abroad or at home virtually. Yeah. And, you know, how we're affecting everything or yeah. if we're even communicating. But to our full potential to audiences mm. and new audiences, we yeah. need them. 
that's a very interesting on that point i mean Mick, no more than yourself Sinead, you're both very physical painters where do you sit in that digital world and i know we've created this wonderful um as resource but yeah. in that is it do you think that you still want the people to stand in front of your work or is it possible as i say to create this representation of art today in ireland um personally speaking i think that it's crucial that people stand in front of the work but this has really made a huge difference i mean this is as good as it gets yeah. uh, quite often uh, but i guess for painting and, and experiencing environments you do need that sometimes you can smell uh, the the paint from a, a painting but you can also you can also have the whole sensory experience when you're experiencing installation mm -hmm. and uh, uh, and that 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 i think is crucial uh, that you do need to have the physical engagement to really be able to fully um, appreciate and experience the work of art. That, yeah. that is very crucial. Um, and uh, it's really up to institutions, governments, uh, corporations, but particularly edu education institutions to, to uh, create that opportunity for the public to be able to engage with um, with physically with the art absolutely absolutely and, and the digital side then can be a mass can can cast you really large net mm. yeah. uh, around no borders you, you, yeah. You, yeah using yeah. that as the anchor mm -hmm. to really put it out there absolutely and to draw to draw in yeah. that that would be the way to do it as well honestly it's a very short conversation but we thank you so much for your participation and i think you've given us all something to think about and hopefully we will continue this conversation and maybe start thinking about those projects you've just suggested. We hopefully move on from that. Thank you very Thank much, you. Nick Thank and Sinead. Thank, Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm so glad we were allowed back into the hub building um, at five o'clock, because otherwise we would have missed that really fascinating, if brief, glimpse at uh, practicing uh, Irish artists uh, in conversation. And I hope that uh, Mick and Sinead will join us again in the future. And thank you to Angela uh, for chairing that uh, short conversation. So we move to a close and I just want to make a few acknowledgements. Um, first of all, to say that Seeing Ireland, the project is funded by the Department of Tourism, Culture, the Arts, uh, as part of the Decade of Centenaries programme. And I'd like to close, first of all, by thanking once again the department and also Minister Catherine Martin. Uh, let me express our gratitude again to Ambassador Vincent Guerrand for joining us today for his interest and his very kind and gracious words on the Ireland-France relationship. Uh, Seeing Ireland is one strand of a wider initiative, States of Modernity, Forging Ireland in Paris, 1922 to 2022, and this is being curated by the Department of Foreign Affairs. It involves uh, several international partners, including uh, Trinity College in Dublin, uh, the O'Brien Collection in Chicago, the Keonocton Institute for Irish Studies at the University of Notre Dame in Indiana, the Centre Culturel Irlandais in Paris, 
and the University of Paris-Sorbonne. Uh, and you can get all the information on the DFA States of Modernity project on the DFA website, so we'll be putting that link up for you. Uh, and of course, you can also now follow the link for the full Seeing Ireland exhibition at www.seeingireland.ie. Uh, it is, as uh, the, um, the project leaders, Billy and Kieran, and also Neil from NoHo mentioned, a work in progress. So I know that the team will be very interested to have any thoughts that people have or any comments on the, uh, the shaping of the digital, the virtual exhibition. Uh, and for all of these things, you can, of course, keep an eye on the Trinity Longroom Hub website, which will keep you up to date on this project and also our other forthcoming events, including our Behind the Headlines series, which I know many people listening in uh, follow. And Behind the Headlines recommences on Wednesday, the 9th of February, with a special discussion in advance of Valentine's Day, are we falling out of love with Dublin? And this is a discussion, a timely discussion, on Dublin's civic plan. Uh, finally, my thanks to Francesco Rafferty and the team at the Trinity Longroom Hub and to everyone who has helped put this event together. But most of all, congratulations once again to Billy Shortle and Kieran O'Neill. This is a real achievement and an absolutely brilliant way of launching our commemorations of the 1922 centenaries. So thank you. And thank you, last of all, to everyone in our very large online audience. And thank you for your patience, uh, given our delay uh, at the beginning of the event. Our best wishes to all of you. We hope that you'll join us again very soon. And to conclude today's proceedings, we have once again, I'm pleased to say, our musicians, we're not together with Nora Moroni, and they're going to play us out. Through coarsely of pass and outrun. 
Stamping provenance Languages towards the history of the Time of Year Library. As well as being heard. The hub is a space. Contemplating Ireland through the communities this created by Coral Sea. The hub is about impact. The hub is for everyone. The rise of feminism. Here's to the next ten years.